Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So it's uh, all for play for still? I think so. Do you want to bet against us? Hi, villains, and welcome to For the Love of Pomegranate podcast with your host, Neil, today. I don't have Paddy, but I have the wonderful Mark Girobi from Under a Gaslit Lamp. He's also the chairman of the Pittsburgh Lions Club. And you know what? I'm a sucker for somebody who's got a surname with three syllables in it. It's a really chantable name, Mark. So, you know, if you ever end up playing for Aston Villa, you can hear, it be, hear something like this from the whole end, and it goes something like, Girobi, oh, oh, Girobi. Like I'm always jealous of people with, with a triple uh, syllable name because uh, I don't have one. And if I ever played for Villa, no, they'd have a shitty chance for me because they wouldn't be able to make anything up for Dunworth. But anyway, how are you yeah, doing? It, I'm doing great, man. That was, that, was a, that was a great introduction. Thanks so much. Yeah, and actually, um, Mr. Tom Julian from the, uh, from the Villa View, actually, uh, uh, this Bible about a year ago now, he actually came up with a chant for Jerovi in case it ever got sung underneath the uh the hold end but I, I highly highly doubt that'll ever happen but yeah you're definitely not the first person that said that i got a pretty chantable name <laughs> that's bad i didn't know that at all i just uh it just came off the cuff but uh maybe it's fate maybe maybe it's your fault that you're not playing for aston villa and we're all trying to give you the signs mark you know we're all trying to give you the signs <laughs> too much pizza mate too much pizza yeah, I can I can attest to that for sure. Uh, so you guys do an absolute brilliant job over and under a gaslit lamp, and you know whether it's uh, whether it's uh, the the written pieces or or um or, or any of the podcasts that you guys do as well. Um, it's a very very content filled and um I suppose exciting time for Aston Villa at the moment, and I'm sure that you guys are uh, are seeing that as well as with all the great content that you put out and. Uh, you know, you guys in Pittsburgh Lions uh, as well. I'm sure that you're waiting for uh, for the Sheffield United game. But I suppose it's 
bit of a bit of a pisser really that it's been moved to a Monday for you guys. Are you guys going to be able to meet up for it? Are you going to be able to, to get to see the Sheffield game? Or even the Barton uh, game this week is is being televised. Yeah, it's the, it's a little weird for us over in Pittsburgh because uh, the pub that we go to uh, called Piper's Pub, mm-hmm. um, it's actually still shut down through lockdown. So that's kind of like our place to go, man. We've got a really, really good relationship with the Piper's Pub staff and the ownership that's there. They've been so good to us. Um, you know, we're, we're just a little over a year old with the Pittsburgh Lions, and mm. it's such a fun thing. I, I, I love the little community we have. We're not, a, we're not a giant, you know, Lions club like you'll find in, in North America, but, but we're very loud and we're very passionate. You know, there aren't too, too many of us that show up, but we, we definitely like to make a bit of the noise in the pub, and that, that scares some of the common, you know, American fans that are just getting into the game. They don't understand why, you know, <laughs> supporters of a team like Villa, you know, can be so loud and abrasive, but that's just the way I was taught you know what I mean just be loud and show yeah. up and have fun and make some noise that's what it's all about but yeah sadly our pub's still closed down we're trying to find accommodations elsewhere but we're really just not sure that they're ready for our type of fun <laughs> <laughs> we we can get away we can get away with it at home base but uh, anywhere else I'm not too sure so yeah we're, we're still scattered haven't seen each other in months it's it's a little little bit disappointing but um yeah as soon as, as soon as our home base opens back up we'll, we'll be there and are there many of you guys that meet up on a match day uh, they, they, we get a handful. Like, actually, I find that uh, most Villa supporters, uh, at least around in Pittsburgh, which is slowly starting to turn a gear to, to football, mm-hmm. um, it, it, it seems like I see more people coming in that don't know about us. And then that's, that's when I step in to be like, oh, hey, here's our website. Here's our Twitter. This is where, what we're about, you know. And I'll see people walking in with, with Villa kits on from like 95 to 2000 season that I've never seen before in my life. And then I, you know, I get them the literature and I tell them where to go to find us. And they're like completely blown away. They're like, I had no idea anybody <laughs> anywhere in Pennsylvania knew who Aston Villa was or what they're about. And it, it's, it's always such a joy when they're like, oh, I have someone to talk about with the game. And then they'll join the group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter or send me a DM and I'll get to talking with them. And that, that's like one of my favorite things in the world because like being a, being a sports fan of any team in solitude is never fun. I was there myself years and years ago when I first started following football and following the Villa. So yeah, anything like that to where we, we I can reach out to somebody and, um, just, just able to be like, Hey, you know, you're not alone. It's okay. I promise. Like, <laughs> you know, you can still, you, so you talk about the villa, but you know, we'll get anywhere from five to 10 people on, on a regular match day. The mm-hmm. earlier ones are always the difference. You know, it's, you know, it's a, it's a five hour time difference. Yeah. So it's a little tough to drag people out for the 7am kickoffs over here, but you know, we, we, we find a way to push at least three or four or five out through the door. Yeah, find yourself a good Irish pub. I know that you said that you're in Pipers, but uh, surely the Irish guys there, they'll, they'll be open at 7 a.m. For, in the morning anyway. So uh, you won't have any, won't have any, <laughs> any hassle with that over there. But no, it's great to see that uh, you're in full recruitment role, mode as well. You know, anybody who comes in the door and is anyway interesting, interested, should I say, in, in, in Premier League and stuff like that, that you're recruiting them towards the good, uh, the good name of Aston Villa. And uh, yeah, that's fantastic to see. And as I said, that there are have been like it's well, I suppose it was a slow start to the off season for Villa. They kind of really took their time in, I think, um, announcing a couple of signings. They took stock of the squad after our battle, our battle almost to the last second last year against relegation. And uh, obviously, Matty Cash has come in, and Ollie Watkins has come in so far. And uh, what are your views on those two signings so far? And um, you know, obviously, 
the rumors, well, not the rumors, they're probably a bit more concrete. The, the, the high possibility is we're going to have two, three, maybe four names in uh, before, probably even before Sheffield United. And what are your views on the signings we have so far? And how are you looking forward to some of the rumored names that we have coming through the door um, over the next few days? I think Matty Cash is, is a wonderful signing. I think he's the right age. Um, you know, I know Forrest hasn't really been going places in, in recent years past, but I think if you were to pick a player from Forrest and bring him up to the Premier League and see him progress to the next level, I think Matty Cash is definitely the kind of right back we should be looking at. Um, a lot of people seem to maybe think that he might play on the right wing a little bit more in the, in the uh, forward areas on the right side of the pitch, but I think he's pretty much nailed on it right back. You can deputize him a little bit forward if you need to. Um, he played a little bit more centrally when he was younger, I believe as well. Mm -hmm. But I, I think he's a fabulous addition. I think it solidifies a position we probably need, especially with an aging Ahmed El Mohamedy. And I, I love Elmo. I think he's a consummate professional, but you know, I, I've watched it myself. He, he might have, uh, you know, lost a step or two since joining Aston Villa. And that's okay. He can still cross a ball. He can you know, still come in for a couple of positions on that right-hand side. But I, I really like Matty Cash. Do, do you know, do you know much about Cash at all? I mean, I've, I've only got to see him sparingly. I, I went back and, and found a couple, couple games where he played, but are you looking forward to anything from Cash that might be, you know, a little out of the ordinary? Yeah, well, he's he's kind of more in a modern fullback uh, style, I think, and that's that's something that Dean Smith was was probably ahead of the game on, even when he was with with Brentford previously, and even with Walsall. You know, he had really attacking fullbacks as well, like Sir Rico Henry and stuff. You know, he's really kind of uh, in the lower leagues. He was playing that attacking style fullback who got in the overlap and got crosses in. And I think Matty Cash is is exactly that player. Um, spoken to a couple of the. Um, uh, sp spoken to a couple of uh, Forest fans, and they've said that yeah, he's a bit naive in defense. He's a bit naive in defense sometimes, but that's to be expected because last year was his first year playing there. Like he was never really cut out or anything. But you know, for I think what they're doing is they're equating the 15 million that spent on him and maybe you know his his defensive abilities, considering he's a fullback um, above anything else. But they think he's a fantastic person that they think that, you know, that he comes from good stock. He's a, he's a quick learner. He's gotten better year on year. Um, probably the central midfield position they feel for him is uh, probably out of his depth at the, at the Premier League level. Um, I don't think so. Just from looking at stuff for him, I think he could be a central midfielder, but I don't think Dean Smith would be playing him there. Um, I think that he'll be, uh, you know, that aggressive over overlapping fullback that will try and get up and down the wing. And, um, you know, I'm really excited about Maddie Cash for sure. And as I say, as I've said before, bringing good people in with good character is, for me, is uh, is is paramount because we've had some some bad eggs at the club before. So if we can get in good guys like Maddie Cash, um, you know, that's that that for me is fantastic. And obviously, Ollie Watkins as well comes with a stellar reputation as an actual good human being as well. So that seems to be something that is prioritised um, character as well as talent. And, and what are your views on Watkins? I know we've we got to see him peel off to the back post at the weekend against Man United and score a bullet header. Um, are you excited about him? Yeah, I'm. I'm really excited about Watkins, and um, I I know it's it, it's kind of the opinion within the fan base of like let's just see what he does. A lot of people think that he he might not be 
ready just quite yet for the jump up to the Premier League. But there's so many intangibles when you talk about a player like Ollie Watkins. I mean, everyone knows by now he doesn't take penalties. So it's not like those goals that he scored last year were, were inflated in any which way. He, he scored them all from open play, basically. Uh, he can score with his left foot, right foot, head. I mean, he, he's willing to get in the middle of the box. He, he's willing to cause chaos. But he's also willing to shoot from, from a distance. Granted, he you know, has space to do so. I think this is kind of like, just like how we just talked about with Matty Cash being more of a more modern uh, fullback. I, th- I think that Ollie Watkins is a more modern striker for Aston Villa. Um, you look at some positions on the pitch, Villa really haven't. I mean, it, especially since going down to the championship and now being promoted, we kind of didn't get to the modern game of how a lot of players play this game now. Um, you know, and it's it's nothing against them, but like when you watch Alan Hutton at right back for a couple years, you're going to think that that's just the normalcy of how a right back plays the game. And again, it's not a knock, but it's not. You know, there, there are actual like athletic smart footballers that now play on the wide defensive positions. Matty Cash definitely helps that out. And it's the same vein with Ollie Watkins. Ollie Watkins is, is going to give you all he can give you. You know, he, he's, he's a physical specimen as well. A lot of people think he might be a little light, but, you know, he, he's got it where it counts in the athletic department. Um, you know, I, I have a lot of time on my hands right now because I'm still furloughed from my job. So, like, I went back and watched a very, very large amount of, of full Brentford games from last season just to kind of see how he moves on the pitch. I think it's going to be a delight. If we can get him service, if we can get him service in any which way, shape, or form, I think he's going to be a wonderful signing. Yeah, that's I like. I I've watched I've watched one or two, uh, the three games I watched the the playoff semi final and I watched um when they played uh, some of the better opposition in the championship last year. I got a got a a, a copy of uh, when they played Leeds as well. His movement is fantastic. An intelligent striker is definitely what we have in our hands. He's he's a, like you can see him. He just and I know this is this is nearly almost a trope at this stage. But plays with a smile on his face. He plays like he he just loves the game. And and I know there's a million and one footballers out there that play like they love the game. But like you, the same can be said of Samata. Samata plays like he loves the game. But Samata doesn't have the cleverness of movement to be able to lose a defender in the in the box and. Uh, he doesn't have that cleverness of movement to be able to do that in a split second. Um, I know you you like the NFL and and uh, Ollie Watkins kind of is. If you think about the running back position in the NFL, there's there, like you can have a one cut running back who just literally sees his sees his spot goes for it. And that's it. If he gets stopped, he gets stopped. Sometimes I see that with people like Samata, and there's lots of strikers make a living out of doing that. But when well, you've got a striker like uh, like Ollie Watkins, who when his initial positioning, when when the position he's initially going to is blocked, he peels off, finds another position, and and tries and make tries to make space inside in the box where people often give up on making making space for themselves and try to get in front of the defender and get a plate into feet and see what happens. But he seems to make space, and sometimes he pops up the back post, the front post, peels back to the to the to the penalty spot. His movement is brilliant. I really like it. Starts off attacks on the wing. Like he's he he's something that we haven't had. He's not a mil, he's not very very tall man. I think he's about six foot, if even that. Um, but you know we've often either had the really tall guy who was good in the air, or we've had the really skinny guy who was really really fast. Really small guy, should I say? It was really really fast. I think with Watkins, we've got somebody who's neither. But we've got somebody who's clever and cute in his movement. And if he can bring that from the championship up to the Premier League level. And if we see the way that he left Harry Maguire for dead and just basically lost Harry Maguire and went to the back post against Man United, if we can see that an awful lot in the Premier League this year, we'll have a definite double-digit striker on our hands, I think. And, and I'm, I'm really excited about Ali Watkins. And I don't think that we look back on 33 million 
and um, and think that it was a massive outlay, uh, especially if he gets us to mid-table security this year. Yeah, I think you're right, especially, you know, when you're talking about his movement. And most of the games that I've watched Ollie Watkins play in in the championship, uh, I think I might have seen the same exact game you were talking about against Leeds. But he has this – it's not strange. It's just different. Again, Aston Villa haven't ha- have really had a striker like Ollie Watkins before. So, like, if he would pick the ball up on the left-hand side of the flank in the final third, he has no problem passing it to a winger. But for the strikers that I've seen for Villa, maybe barring Tammy Abraham, they'll pass that ball off and then kind of stop. Watkins immediately has his head on a swivel to look around and figure out where he needs to be. Um, Again, that's a more modern kind of striker. It seems like it would be such a common sense thing, but there aren't a lot of strikers that Villa have had that that do that kind of thing in in recent memory. So I I just think that he reads the game really well. I think he's he's just a smart footballer, good with tactics. He's good on set pieces as well. You know, you said he's he's not the tallest footballer, especially a striker you're going to see, but but he does things well. He knows how to peel off a man. He he knows how to you know break a double team. Sometimes even a triple team off. He uh, he won't even hesitate to come back to the 18, 18 yard box on the edge of it and kind of wait maybe like a shorter option or or a set play. So um yeah I I just I don't think we're gonna look back just like you said at the price tag and wonder about it. I don't think he's gonna just storm in the door and score score thirty. I would be over the moon. But if we can get fifteen goals out of a striker that's coming up from the championship after the season he just had, it's a super positive. Villa are trying to maintain themselves as a Premier League standard team bringing in someone like Ollie Watkins just makes sense to me. 100%. Yeah, and, and he really is excited. It, it really has me excited, should I say. And as do some of the names we've been linked with, um, I'm not overly concerned with our number one goalkeeper, uh, Tom Heaton, other than the fact that he's a bit on the older side and did his cruciate ligament. But we, it's been, it's more or less done, a done deal at this stage, considering his wife is looking at, uh, at houses in around the Belfry in Birmingham. I think Emilio Martinez is, is probably signed for Villa. They're probably waiting to kind of announce him along with uh, another player. Um, but Emilio Martinez um, had a storming end to last season, has done his apprenticeship in, in England with Arsenal for over 10 years. Um, and he is on the right side of 30 for a goalkeeper. Uh, are you excited about him? Or is he one of these guys that you're, uh, that you're worried about, the amount of money we've had to, play to pay to attract him to the club? Or what's your views on, on getting that, that, that uh, good young young from a goalkeeper's point of view pair of hands in to to uh to tide us over maybe while heating this year and ultimately win the number one position i think it's a good signing but i think it's a good signing for other reasons that people may not get excited about um first off like you said his age is is right i think the age is absolutely perfect for a goalkeeper if you're looking for someone to take the reins off of heating um for the the idea that we're bringing in another goalkeeper makes me believe that maybe some of the coaching staff or upper brass at Villa aren't happy with the way mm-hmm. that Heaton is rehabbed from his knee injury. Now, we know cruciate injuries, they're, they're tough. They're tough to rehab from. There's a lot involved in it. There's some days where you get up and you feel absolutely fine, and then a couple hours later, your knee swells up to the size of the balloon, and you have no idea what's going on. That happens. You can be months down the line for a rehab, and that can actually happen. Um, me being a, a, a sports fan of multiple different sports, everything from ice hockey to the NFL to Major League Baseball. I've seen players bounce back from this with no problem, and then I've seen it actually completely shatter careers, and the players never the same when they come back. Mm-hmm. So the verdict's still out on if Heaton's going to be okay, 
but I, I don't I don't know if it was a thing that they didn't have the trust in Nyland, didn't want to push Steer into that spot, you know, as as Heaton's making his rehab. But, you know, I've done a lot of digging, a lot of phone calls, a lot of late night uh, Zoom sessions with some of my Arsenal friends. Um, they they think he's ready for the step up. They think he's ready to be a number one somewhere. It's a shame that uh, Leno's there at Arsenal and it won't be that. But you got to think Martinez has been behind some pretty, pretty top keepers at Arsenal the past past number of years. You know, sometimes maybe even second or third or even fourth choice to those keepers. But they seem to be pretty sold on the fact that he's ready for the step up. I don't know if that's that good old fashioned Arsenal optimism that we see and hear about on a time to time basis. But I'm, I'm curious to see how this one plays out. I do think that it would be a good, good signing. He, it does seem like he's pretty much already in the door. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I just I like Tom Heaton. I've I've liked Tom Heaton since before he was an Aston Villa player. I think he, he's a really good goalkeeper. Um, a lot of people didn't know actually how good he was. They're like he's coming from Burnley. How good he could he actually be? But honestly, he he's a really really solid goalkeeper. I just think that there might be something going on behind the scenes with his rehab that he uh he just he just might not be coming back the way we thought he was or it's going to take a little bit longer than what we initially thought what how do you feel about martinez do you think that you know you think the price tags too much you think the ability may not i mean he, he we, we could be watching him come in the door and it could have been an absolute fluke you know of what he did at arsenal by the time that you know after Leno got injured I, i'm curious to hear your thoughts yeah i don't think it's going to be a fluke and, and with regards to the price tag I ask people about price tags, but to me, price tag doesn't make blind bit of a difference. And the reason being is because I, I know me as a football fan, I haven't moved with the times because Aston Villa haven't been in the position to spend big money. So when I see T- Chelsea go out and spend 50 million on Timo Werner, that's a bloody good deal. But it's still 50 million. You know, at Villa have gone years and their cumulative spending wouldn't have been 50 million. And same on Kai, Kai Havertz, they've gone away and spent that. So when Villa starts spending this money, I immediately kind of recoil and shirk and go, shit, what's the, what's the future going to hold if we're spending all this money? We might have no money in the future, but the, move, the game has moved on. So for me, I, I trust the upper brass. I trust Aston Villa now with, with, with transfer fees. And it's, it's, it's never, go, well, not for this season or for last season. It's not going to make a blind bit of difference in my, my opinion of the player or the, or the signing itself. And I know some fans do. They want to be a bit more frugal. But when you hear fans say, I wouldn't pay 20 for it. I'd only pay 16 or 15. And then you're going, where 4 million doesn't, doesn't make much of a difference in this, in this day and age as a, a, as, as, as a football team. But So the, the price doesn't really bother me. Um, from a sample set size, that's probably one of the things where I look at it and I go, I'm not quite sure that the sample set is big enough. But then when I look and see that he has played nine, he played nine games last year and he had nine games in a row. He had an 81% save percentage and he kept 30, like he had a 37.5% clean sheet record as well. So he had decent numbers. He's played 15 games in the Premier League and of those 15 games, he's kept he's uh, he's had a 40% clean sheet record and he's um. He's uh, had a 76, uh, 76% save uh, percentage as well. So for me, that's not bad. That, that isn't bad. He's, um, he's conceded through, through the course of, of the, well, his games in the Premier League. He's conceded only, uh, only 16 goals in 15 games as well. Now, I know that I can't vouch for the quality of opposition, whether he was thrown in there in, in games against poor opposition or what. But those last nine games that he played for Arsenal, he played very well and he was probably the standout player in defence for that team. So from that point of view, I look at it and I kind of say, maybe we're catching him at the right time. Maybe the lightning is in the bottle with this guy and, uh, and we're going to be the ones that's going, that, that's going to be able to, to harness it and to use the power that way. So for me, 
I was slow to get on board with signing another goalkeeper because I did like uh, Tom Heaton, like you mentioned. But the more it's had, I've, it's had time to settle with me, the more I look at this and the more I hear about Emmy Martinez, even how he's conducted himself in the back room for, for Arsenal, having to wait his chance for the bones of 10 years, the more I like, like him and the more I think that he's, even though he is Argentinian, he has a very British mindset towards the game. And... Uh, the that that to me is, is is fantastic to get a goalkeeper in there that has done an apprenticeship like this because you don't see too many goalkeepers do a ten year apprenticeship, um like like Martinez has and uh, yeah I'll be very excited when he signs and and I think he will give a small bit of steel to the to the backline as well um and if he can keep up his save percentages and his clean sheet percentages uh I'll be absolutely I'll be even happier than that I think. You know, once once we see where he goes with that, we've also been very much linked to. Uh, to I was going to say Ryan Bertrand, uh, Bertrand Traore uh, of Leon, formerly of Chelsea. Bit of pace in the wings. Um, is that something? Do you think that we need to kind of focus in those areas? Is this kind of more of a vanity signing, um, or is this something that you feel is? probably two weeks overdue that we should have gotten more players in in those those uh, forward attacking positions. But what are your feelings on, on Bertrand Traore? Do you know much about him? Have you seen much much on him? And uh, is he someone that kind of fills you with, uh, with, a, with a sense of excitement for how he's going to play in that front three? I, did, I had to do a little bit of research. I wasn't, I wasn't very keen on, on how he played or, you know, anything like that. I knew he was ex-Chelsea, but I didn't know what, he, what he's really done since moving away from there. Um, I, I have this crazy feeling, man, that it, it might be – this might be one of those, like, impact sub-signings. And I know that seems like an outrageous amount of money mm -hmm. to spend on there, but I think Dean Smith may look at Trezeguet to still be the guy on the right-hand side of the pitch for now until he loses it, if he loses it. Um, I think you got to respect what he did especially at the end of Project Restart. But with Traore, I mean, he only had three goals and five assists through all French competitions last year. Um, it, it just seems like not only with Traore, but also still, you know, the, the links we've heard for weeks now about uh, Rashica, um, you know, they seem like very tricky wingers. And that might just be something that Dean Smith want, wants to build upon, maybe a little bit higher in the, in the dribbles department, being able to beat a man one-on-one. -on -one. Maybe he feels like that was something he lacked last season. I don't think that Traore comes in and gets the number one spot. So I think that he's going to have to earn it. But, you know, I'm a big believer of competition for places. I think, it, you know, just on a psychological level, it, it really spurs players on to do better, not only for themselves, but for the club as well. So I, I think it's a good signing. I just, I'm not sure if it's in a sub capacity. I, I just, I don't know. I think you got to surely give Trezeguet a start, right? I mean, you would think so. Yeah. And I, I think that Trezeguet could probably, Trezeguet's biggest, um, I suppose, plus point as well for him is uh, that he can play left wing or right wing. It doesn't really matter. Like he, the, the assist he had for, um, for Watkins at the weekend came from the right wing, but an awful lot last year he switched with, with Jack and played on the left wing. So he's equally as comfortable playing either side. And when Jack played in the middle at the start of the, start of the year and, and uh, El Ghazi played down the right, Trezeguet played on the left as well. So I think his versatility would probably give him the nod. With Traore, he is massively left-footed from what I can see him from, from what a lot of people will say is that he's very much so left-footed. And I think Dean Smith has, in his mind, has uh, something along the lines of him being a, a, a left-footed right-winger that cuts in. That's kind of a lot where he played at uh, Leon. Um, I know you mentioned his statistics from last year, but I kind of tend to throw everything out, of the, out of, um, with Leon last year. And 
it's the reason being is they had a fantastic Champions League campaign, obviously getting to the um, getting to the semifinals of the Champions League. But domestically, they were absolutely they were useless. Like they they finished seventh in a league whereby they can comfortably outspend every other team other than uh, Paris Saint Germain. So they were very very under par domestically last year. And I think what probably happened with Leon, and once again, I don't really have much to back this up from a factual point of view, other than just looking at team sheets and seeing what, what happened over the course of the year. I think they went and they, they kind of pushed maybe more of a youth movement, more of a, uh, a movement of, of, of trying to, to, to get something going within their, their attacking players. And, you know, their, their front three did damage during the, um, during the, uh, uh, the Champions League. And even at that, the first sub off the bench was Moussa Dembele, um, the ex-Celtic striker. So I think, I, I, I don't think that everything was as rosy in the garden. And I think Traore would have been more of a, probably a domestic player. I know he did play in the Champions League a couple of games last year, but I think he would have been more somebody who would have came in and played on a Saturday after, after uh, Leon had played on a Wednesday in the Champions League. And and for me, I think that kind of has an effect on his on his statistics as well. The year before, he scored 11 goals, and I think he had nine assists or something like that, or five assists. And Liverpool were sniffing around him for about 30 million. So um, recency bias and recency, recency statistics tell me that uh, he didn't have a good year last year. But that doesn't tell the full story for me. You're going to think I'm I'm probably a bit mental when I say this, but... I don't know why, but the second I saw that we were, we were linked to him and I thought back to what he did at Ajax because he was very good at Ajax and he had a decent record when he came off the bench for, for Chelsea as well. I think he had three goals and five assists in 10 games for Chelsea when he, when he played uh, only, I think, a year and a half for them. But I think that he is the perfect age and I think that while he's not going to be Mohamed Salah okay and bear me in this when I start equating somebody like him to Mohamed Salah but the fact that teams bigger teams continental teams even teams in in uh, in uh, England they give up on these athletic players that have good skill and good pace and they start to give up on them in 24 and 25 because they were probably a hot shot at, tw- at 1920 and then by the time it comes to 24 25 they've given up on them but it only takes one team, one chance, one system for an athletic player to be able to hit his, uh, hit his stride and get a good couple of years out of him. Kind of like what Liverpool have done, rescuing Salah from, from Roma. Salah was put in the, on the, the, the scrap heap at Chelsea. He went to Roma, kind of half rebuilt his career, came to Liverpool, and obviously we see what he is now. I'm not for one minute saying we're going to get 40 goals out of Bertrand Traore. I'm likening the fact that they're career trajectory from an age standpoint from what they were when they were younger and then where they've come to where they came to had a blip in their in their development and then went on to another team and progressed i don't know why i feel that way that he could he could progress with us but i just do (laughs) no i don't i don't think you're out of bounds in in making that kind of comparison i mean because you know if you if you actually ask some of the like really really die hard home and away liverpool supporters Mo Salah can be one of the most frustrating football players you can find in all of England. Mm. Yeah, at times he's brilliant, and, and there's times where he's, he's absolutely everything you want him to be. Remembering him from, from a season or two seasons ago when he was banging in goals for fun. But sometimes, for even, even for a prolific player like Mo Salah, 
you're very frustrating to watch and you, you just have a bad game. You have a bad couple of games where it seems like you can't get past the player. It seems like your dribbles never come off, your passing's off. I think this might be the case with Traore too. I, you know, from, from, you know, I broke out the Google translator and started scamming through a couple of the, uh, the message boards, you know, over there in France to see like what people would say about him, especially after he had a bad game, you know, I'd actually look back to the day after and see what people play. And that's the kind of thing they're saying. It's just not coming off for him. His dribbling's bad. He can't cross a ball. He can't do this and that. And then you see a week later when he actually has an assist or has a nice form of dribbling or he's helping out the midfield areas or getting the ball up to the strikers. Oh, he's prolific. He's great. It's back to his old form. We're going to get the IX form again. So I think that he could be an incredibly frustrating player to watch sometimes. But if you actually think about last year, there was a large percentage of that Villa squad that was pretty frustrating to watch, even though we knew they could do better. We know that they could perform better than what they did. It just wasn't coming off, you know, especially, you know, through that Christmas period. It was, it was hard watching some players you're like just do the thing you're good at why can't you do the thing you're good at and it would try I think you're getting a little bit more of the same with that but again I, I'm just really curious how Dean Smith utilizes him I, I think he's probably going to start off as an impact sub of sorts a little bit of yeah. pace a little bit of trickiness coming in at the end of the game and I'm not upset about that again I, I saw a lot of people slagging off the price tag you know I'm, I'm in two minds about it and one part of my mind it's hey I'm not they're not coming after me for money if this signing doesn't come off. You know, they're not getting my bank account details in case I don't have to pay any of this mm -hmm. money back. And on the other side, I think it falls into that model with Christian Perslow of like, hey, let's try to buy these players when – you know, and add value to them while they're at Aston Villa and maybe sell them off down the line if we get a good enough, you know, offer for them. I know a lot of – I know that some people don't think that that's the way of, of how it goes, but it does. You look at what Leicester did, you know, the past five or six seasons, you know, yeah. with, with selling off players. Um, I, I think that the six players that have left Leicester in the past two or three years, they've almost gotten 300 million pound for them. Um, if Villa can even find themselves anywhere near being able to do that as a sustainable business model, I, it's just, it's one of those things where I'm like a giant nerd about because the game isn't purely played on the pitch. You know, there's, there's a lot that goes with it. There's a lot of money involved and, um, you know, I'm not saying that we're supremely just going to buy players and then sell them off like we're a feeder club. But, you know, some of the players even last year when we were solidifying the squad, those players won't be here in the next two to three seasons. That's just the way the game's played now, especially when you're trying to, uh, get a little bit more steadier footing on being a Premier League club. Yeah, I 100% I agree. And I think that, you know, this guy could be one of the first uh, statistical signings, maybe. One of the first data-driven signings, Bertrand Traore. We could be looking for somebody who uh, dribbles at a certain pace, has a certain amount of uh, dribble success rate or something like that. And um, given that he is a talented player, he's still young. And I want to double back on my Mo Salah thing as well, because I know I can hear people almost, I can hear all, at least five of the seven listeners that listen yeah, to you're, the you're gonna get, You're going to get, you're going to get comments. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. Yeah, like, but, how dare uh, you, it's uh, Mo Salah. But I think what I want to say is probably I picked the wrong player, but what I was trying to say was that the teams are too quick to give up on young players with athletic talent. So if you scrub out Mo Salah and put in whatever player you feel is applicable, that was my meaning from this. I think big teams and teams in continental competitions uh, are too they're too quick to give up on on young players. And um, from that standpoint, sure. Hey, listen, Chelsea gave up on Kevin De Bruyne. Look what he is now, best midfielder in the world. 
so it's it's not exactly uh, you know an exact science I think for a lot of big teams. And as I say once again, kind of almost going back to uh, to catching lightning in a bottle, like we will, like uh, like I said with, with Emilio Martinez, if you can do that in almost the literal sense with somebody who's electric and who's past who's pacey and can take the ball, run forward with the ball and, and dribble and has has a trick in him. You know, with uh, Bertrand, once again, we won't remember the 17 or 18 million that we spent on him. We just won't. And uh, yeah, look, as I say, I'm 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 always on the positive side of of any argument. Anyway, I think a lot of the time, I'm a very much I'll stay positive until you uh, un, until you can show me you can't do it. You know, I I don't see the point of being negative about about, about the signing anyway. But uh, just again for the third time, he's not going to be more sad. I just don't want. I just hate when big teams give up on young athletic talents. And hopefully, we we reap the rewards from uh, from Bertrand Traore and going from Bertrand to Burton. Burton Albion are uh, our first competitive opponents tomorrow. Um. I hope we actually have news of signings before that game. I think it would be nice uh, to have it. And they're on TV here in uh, in Ireland and in the UK as well tomorrow. So I'm looking forward to sitting down and watching that tomorrow. Um, do you think that Dean Smith goes and plays, shows his hand and gives his, his first team squad uh, a run out considering that there's been a lack of proper preseason. I know we've had a couple of behind closed door games against some big teams like Arsenal and United and we've been victorious. Do you think he gives his his first 11 a good run out in this and do you think we'll see Ollie Watkins start up front against Burton? I do. I think it'll probably be very similar to the lineup we've seen against Manchester United. Um, I, I think it's just with the, the time constraints and how you're not really getting a preseason tour somewhere, like massive, massive games of friendlies and all that sort of thing. I think he kind of has to roll them out. Um, getting the chemistry back in the squad is great. Um, Matty Cash, obviously, wants to give him as much time up and running before he takes his Premier League debut. I think the same is with Watkins. Um, I, I really think that I, I, I don't know. I, it's just probably over-optimism. I, I think we're going to beat Burton pretty single-handedly. Um, it's it's no knock on them. It's just the the levels of the game. It's it's an early competition. It's a little weird that we're p- playing a domestic competition before the actual Premier League. I'm still trying to wrap wrap my head around that one <laughs> yeah. a little bit, but it just feels weird, doesn't it? Like even the international competitions last week with England, it mm-hmm. just felt so so strange. Um, you know, but we live in strange days. So, but yeah, I, I think with for Burton, I think he keeps the the starting eleven how it is. Get some chemistry, gel the boys together a little bit, a little bit of you know team chemistry going on and everything. I don't think he's gonna unleash any kind of tactical surprises or anything like that but it'll be curious to see with the lineup I wouldn't be upset to see a youngster or two on the bench you know that they've had quite a few youngsters now training with the team so if that's something maybe Dean wants to do to maybe just you know at the end of the game if the game's in hand just see what what a youngster can do in a capacity such as a cup competition do you feel that um you know Burton's gonna be one of those where he experiments a little bit or you think it's pretty much nailed on starting 11? I think he plays his starting 11 and he makes changes uh i think we could see uh somebody like jacob ramsey i know that the under 23 trees played today and kane hayden kessler wasn't in the squad nor was jacob ramsey so i think we could see one or one if not two of the both of the two of those now the one thing is that kessler is a um is a uh, a right back and i don't know whether he's actually he probably i think he think he switches between right and left back so maybe we might even see him in there at left back instead of matty target um ramsey obviously is a is a more forward player so we might see him it'd be interesting to see the team he does throw out there um 
tomorrow. And uh, yeah, I like you. I think I think we beat Burton pretty easily, and uh, I think that it's used. Uh, it, it's actually a, it's actually a brilliant game to have before we have our first. A competitive game against Sheffield United um, because obviously Sheffield United coming off a loss tonight, a get 2-0 loss to, to Wolves, um, it would be a nice little uh, run, or, run out against the team in Burton that uh, would be looking to take a scalp. It's our first competitive game and if we can get a couple of goals under, goals under our belt early, it would be almost uh, akin to a good friendly to have before the start of the season, although there is something riding on this. So really looking forward to it tomorrow. Um, I know we've had a, a shorter break uh, this uh, off-season, but I'm really, really looking forward to the Burton game tomorrow and looking forward to seeing what, what team he puts out. I think Ollie Watkins will definitely start up front. I don't think you can sign someone for £33 million, And with the anticipation that the, that the fans have, even after he scored against Man United last weekend, I think Dean Smith has to nearly start him and take him off at half-time or something if we're going well. But I think the fans will really want to get a glimpse at Ali Watkins. And I think the media will want to get a glimpse at him as well because the media are, uh, are undecided on, on his, maybe not even his ability, but they're undecided on the transfer as a whole, given that they would take uh, the transfer amount into, into account a small bit more as well. But yeah, really looking forward to Burton. And hopefully we have one, if not two players, holding shirts in the middle of the field at halftime to... Uh, to announce their, their signings in, in uh, Emmy Martinez and Bertrand Traore tomorrow. It'll be a nice lift, um, you know, prior to the game or lift for, for even the TV cameras to show that we mean business um, because uh, I like that propaganda that you get sometimes when you're on uh, when you're on TV as opposed to having a negative talking point um, with the team. And God knows we've had a lot of negative talking points over the last couple of years um, with Aston Villa. Yeah. So yeah, I I, I agree. I, before we before we move on, yeah, I just wanted to say, as, as far as um you know, some people think that we should just roll out the kids against Burton. I saw a couple conflicting uh, opinions of uh, of how how it's all you know working and everything. But I think after seeing Sheffield United today, if there was any doubt in that coaching staff's mind about rolling out maybe a softer a B team against Burton Albion, like I I don't know, man. Sheffield Wednesday did not look good, or Sheffield United did not look good to me whatsoever against Wolves and I can't I, I couldn't figure out maybe if it was how good Wolves are and it pains me to say that but you know how good they are how you know maybe maybe the the horseshoes falling out for Blades a little bit maybe I don't know they that did not look like a, a Blades team to me today it was it was shocking I don't know if they're still knocking the rest off from the offseason but I, I think that's a there's so many positives of the fact that the first game against Man City got postponed, not only for getting transfers in, but also trying to gain some fitness for the season. But not after I just saw, you know, what Chris Wilder rolled out there today against Wolves, I think this is a perfect time to play them. It could be a really, really nice three points to kick off the season if they play the same way they did against Wolves. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, Sheffield United haven't been on a good run of form since Project Restart. Maybe that time that a lot of teams had to look at them from – like they were in the long grass, maybe that team of the rest of the teams have had time to look at them and see them and, and kind of expose them and see that they're, you know, that they are beatable, that their their exuberant style of play, treat the back and so on, and um, it can be gotten at. And uh, you know, we've seen it before with teams that have come up and and hit the ground running, and then the second season has always been difficult for them. But uh, I've got faith in Chris Wilder. I like the team at Sheffield United. I like Chris Wilder. Cranky and all as he is, I do like him. I like the way I like that he 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 shoots from the hip at times. Um, he's a man's manager, I think, and uh, 
yeah, I don't have any ill, fa- Ill wishes towards uh, Sheffield United other than the fact that I hope we beat them and we get a, an opening, our opening game win, uh, which will be one of the first ones in a long time for Aston Villa in the Premier League. So um, that's definitely something I'm looking for. And how do you think that Villa will get on as a whole in the year, in the, the 2020-21 season? What would be your final predictions for them, I suppose, for the year? What would you be happy with, I suppose, more so? as opposed to your prediction for them. I've said it a couple times on Twitter and also on the, the podcast over at Under Gaslit Lamp, but hey guys, just um, don't finish 17th on the last day of the season. And I'm happy. I'm as, I'm as happy as you can possibly be. I don't really have like a number expectation for this season. Just, just keep making progress. Keep climbing off the table, even in small increments. Like I'll take 14th. 14th's mm-hmm. okay for me. You know, just something a little less dramatic, something a little less... I guess, angry because there, there were sways through that past season where I'm just like, you got, you have to figure out a way to score goals. And even like, you know, lockdown happens and project restart happens. And granted the team did a really, really good job, but it was still just that whole thing of like, find a way to score a goal, use the things you have in your squad to your advantage. Um, I, you know, Jackie Grealish kind of turned into a little bit of cellophane, even though he redeemed himself with the heroics against West Ham mm-hmm. and whatnot. But, you know, like you use your players to the best of your ability Try try to figure out you know how to get balls in the back of the net, but yeah, for me, I'm not I'm not really expecting anything too too high. I saw some people saying, "Oh, we get these three or four players in, and we're we're going to have European nights at Villa Park again." I think you kind of have mm. to pump the brakes on that and temper your expectations. I'm 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 okay with chipping away at this to become a mainstay in the Premier League, and I think that's exactly what Villa will do. I can see it's between 14th and you know 14th. 13th 12th somewhere around there I'd be completely happy with I know a lot of people I I just think some people think some supporters of Villa think that we're two or three years down the line from where we really are and I know reality isn't exactly people's strong point sometimes they want to think that their their club they support because they love and adore that club so much I think they think they're farther than what they really are but I think in the terms of Villa we're making the right moves not only just on player talent level, but also people. You know, we talked earlier about Maddie Cash and Ollie Watkins seeming like they're very good human beings from everything that we've read. I love the fact for Maddie Cash, whenever he signed his picture, his entire family was That's with him. Brilliant. Those, yeah. those pictures. I loved it, Neil. I'm telling you, man, I'm sitting there, I'm looking at him like, this is such a defining moment for the Cash family that they have the whole extended family up there for the picture, for the backdrop of the, the table and the pens there and the contracts mm. there. And it was just such a beautiful thing. Like, I'm a little soft in that aspect because like I've watched people in my family go on to do things like that and I'm just like man that is such a cool moment like it's such an awesome beautiful thing to share with your family so yeah I, I don't know what, what are you thinking for Villa this year do you have a do you have a number set on it or are you just hoping like hey don't get relegated and everything will be okay <laughs> no you nailed it for me I want incremental incremental growth the Premier League isn't a league where you can uh, unless you well even with financial fair play now, and unless you've got a team of absolute hotshot lawyers behind you, you know, you're not going to be able to come in and blitz the league by buying Messi, Ronaldo, uh, Neymar, whatever else. Buying players, as we mentioned earlier on with Bertrand Traore, buying players, getting a couple of good years out of them, rebuilding their, their careers at a young age, and maybe selling them off for profit like Leicester did. That's the sustainable way forward. You know, Leicester won the league and, and they were, were obviously not fancy to win the league. But we've seen a lot of teams have come in, had one good year, uh, tried to live off the back of it and slid down the league again. I want us to grow and become almost like a Burnley uh, to start with and then, you know, incrementally work our way up the league over the next, uh, over the next year or two, solidify ourselves within the league, 
reap the riches that come with it. Yes, we're spending 100 million last year. We spent 140 million. We spent 100 million this year. That's unsustainable. And I think this, um, you know, to be able to, um, I suppose, grow organically within the league for me is big. And uh, show a small bit of a signal of intent, I think, this year, whether it be with a massive signing or whether it be with a massive scalp or whether it it be even with, you know, retaining the players that we have. I think we need to start showing that we're not going to be bullied by the league itself and and grow from there. So, uh, yeah, I'm thinking 14, 15, just no dramas, as you say, towards the end of the year. I'd be happy with a mid-table finish and uh, to see growth and to see Dean Smith's system and tactics grow within this team because that's another thing I want to see is I want to see stability not only with the players in the field not only with the boardroom but also in the management positions as well uh, over the course of this year that's yeah, I, I, oh, sorry, I completely I, I completely agree with everything you're saying I, I think and I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to get a lot of stick for this like you are about Mo Salah but I think one of the best signings we've made this season has been Craig Shakespeare yeah um, I don't think you can you can really I, I don't know. I'm such into the coaching aspect of sport. I, I love it. I study it. I, I've read books on it. I've attended seminars about psychology and sports. I'm really big into it. When you bring someone in the door that, that has a history like Craig Shakespeare does, and you, you can now take younger players or even veteran players by the shoulder and say, hey, I noticed this. Let's work on this. We're going we're gonna to spend a half hour, 45 minutes after, after this training session. I just want to show you something real quick. Even small things like that, it, it, it it illuminates the light bulb so bright and people don't realize like what that means to have someone with that kind of experience coming in the door. Um, Even, even if it's just in a coaching behind the scenes as at, you know, standpoint, it's again, it's not the sexiest thing to talk about, but I do think that that Shakespeare is going to end up being someone who adds so much to that, that coaching staff. And, you know, because I don't know. I see, I see John Terry leaving sooner than later. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, just, I just think that, you know, he, he's still learning his trade. I'm not saying it's going to happen this season or maybe even next season, but eventually I do see Terry moving on and it wouldn't be a, a bad thing that if he did go and, and Shakespeare hangs around. So yeah, I don't know. That's, that's a massive, massive coup for me. It just with all, all that he brings and his, his reputation in the game is pretty massive as well. Yeah. And that's, no, I don't think you're going to stick for that because uh, you could make the argument that you know he was there, he was with um, Ranieri when they won the when Leicester won the league, and uh, we know that Ranieri doesn't like he's he he needs uh, an English head at times to get get his point across. Was that Craig Shakespeare? Also, um, you see Watford's demise once uh, Nigel Pearson left. Was it Nigel Pearson? Was it Craig Shakespeare that that sent him into free fall? You know, they had battled their way from the bottom of the table. So he knows what it, what it's like to eke out things and to get systems in place for the top of the league and for the bottom of the league as well. And I think that you're spot on. I think he is going to be one of these ones when we look back at it over the course of maybe this year and next year. The fact that himself and Dean Smith are actually friends and worked together and played together previously, should I say. Um, you know, this has the makings of a very, very nice partnership. So, yeah, it's a definite watch this space one, we'll see how we tactically kind of uh, grow and evolve under, under uh, a new uh, voice inside there, especially on the training ground, and one that has all the experience in the world of being with England, being with a title-winning Leicester, and being with uh, a team, teams that have battled from the bottom of the table to keep their, um, well, I'm convinced Watford would have, kept, would have stayed up in, in our stead um, if they didn't get rid of uh, Shakespeare and Nigel Pearson. But, uh, 
you can't, uh, you know, you, you can't teach that owner anything. And uh, it was his own exuberance and his own stupidity, really, that, that cost him their Premier League positioning, I think. Uh, but to our gain, we, we gain 100% from it. So I don't really care. Can't feel too sorry for them. Mark, this has been a fantastic, uh, absolutely fantastic conversation. I really, really, really enjoyed it. Um, I know this, uh, that you are getting ready to watch your, your Pittsburgh Steelers later on this evening, so I'm not going to hold, you on to, hold on to you too much. Um, but uh, do you want to plug, as everybody knows, listen, I feel almost patronizing asking you, do you want to plug your stuff? Because obviously you're with the, under a gasset lamp and everything. But do you want to shout out where anybody, everybody can find you just in case there's somebody living under a rock that listens to this podcast that hasn't listened to yours or seen any of the, any of the great content that you guys throw out there? Sure. Thanks so much. No. Uh, yeah. Mark Jerebi, you can find me on Twitter on my personal account at VillamarkPGH. Uh, you can also find me at, at under a gaslit lamp on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram, all the places, all the social media places we're out there and about. We got, we're pushing out content all the time. It's been an absolute pleasure over the past three years that, to co-found under a gaslit lamp, me and my good, good buddy from across the sea, Regan Foy. Uh, we have a marvelous team of writers. They're all very, very talented. We're all just trying to get our opinions out there about the villa. A little bit of news sprinkled into it. We have a podcast for the men's team, a podcast for the women's team. Neil, thank you so much, man. This has been a lot of fun. I've been listening to you since your very, very first podcast. This is an absolute pleasure. I'm not even just saying it just because I'm on. I think we messaged it a couple of times and said like, hey, I got to get on. You know, next time you have me on and I do want to come back on, got to make sure we have Patty, man. I, I love sitting down and talking to Patty as well. He's, he's a really good guy. <laughs> Patty's breaking people up in the soccer field as we speak. He's taking out all his frustration and anger and other men in their, uh, in their late 30s, early 40s out in the football field. So, uh, yeah, we'll try and drag him in. He's just a, he's, he's a glutton for the game. Um, he's out playing, playing soccer today, so he wasn't able to, uh, to join us. But uh, absolutely, we, this won't be our last time being on the podcast, if I have anything to do with it anyway. So uh, I'd be delighted to have you on again, uh, Mark, and thank you so much for making the time. Um, as I say, you can find Paddy, the, the, the absent Paddy, who uh, has pro- obviously his, his uh, priorities aren't in the right place. Uh, considering that he's not here tonight, but I'll still plug him anyway. You can find Paddy on at Villa Paddy uh, on Twitter. You can find myself, uh, the podcast here on at Love McGrath Pod. And, uh, you know, you can find us on, a, on any, any social media as well, but we're most active on Twitter, as you guys know. Um, as I said, thanks to everybody for listening to the podcast. It's been a real roller coaster. And every time I look at the statistics for the pod, I literally, you know, I just, I'm blown away every time with all the interaction, you know, the, the, the comments, the five stars and keep them coming guys. I know it might, uh, it, it, it might, uh, it might, it might seem like uh, nobody ever reads them or anything like that, but it, it means a lot to us. It keeps us going, you know, any of those comments. And we really, really appreciate every single one of you guys that do listen to the podcast. It's going to be an exciting couple of days. We have competitive football back again tomorrow against Burton. We're going to come to you again with a post game show. Um, after the Burton game, depending on how many beers we have, maybe on the night, maybe the, maybe the day after, but we will be back at, at some stage. We've got football, as I say, tomorrow. Look forward to it. Stay safe. And all that's left to do is say, up the villa. Up the villa.
Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.